Hey, friend. Are we going to say hello and welcome? Oh, yeah, of course. What are we doing? <laughs> I forgot it's not just a chat for me and you. <laughs> no, no, it's not just a chat for me and you. It's a lovely chat, but <laughs> there is also a purpose and there's other people listening and it's rude not to welcome them. That is true. The Survival Lab. Hello, Hello and, and welcome. welcome. Oh my god, that was awful. <laughs> to <laughs> the Survival Lab, a DIY <laughs> podcast. Can't you tell? <laughs> I'm Sarah. And I'm Sean. And this is lockdown number three in the UK. So we're still Zooming. Yeah, and it's not the best lockdown. I keep hearing people refer to the first lockdown as the good lockdown. Oh yeah, that was a good lockdown. That was the good lockdown, that one was, where everyone was baking and positive. And and... being outside, if they had outdoor space. And now it's cold, cold and wet. Yeah, it's very cold. Got to stay home and save lives. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Protect the NHS. Yes, we need them. So you've got a new segment that you're like whacking in there. Well, I'm not sure it's going to be a regular segment. It's just that um, I bought a book on a whim. Oh, yeah. um, Because I had some vouchers to use and it just made up the right cost. But it's um, Sandy Toxvig. It's Toxvig's Almanac. Oh, my God, that sounds amazing. (laughs) It's so good. You're going to have to read it. Um, So it's an eclectic meander through the historical year, but it's basically focusing on women. Um, and celebrating like almost every every day in fact maybe every day she's written about a different woman in history um, and their achievements yeah it's really it's honestly you're gonna have to read it show us the cover oh and it's even beautiful as well that's such a nice design it's beautiful and it's like you can dip in and out of it there's like just like really short let me see you can see like there's just like short stories oh yeah so it's not like a big task to read it, but I wanted to read you a quote from the beginning um, <laughs> uh, because I thought it was funny um, and interesting. So there is a marvellous book called Women Who Read Are Dangerous, and it quotes many an expert from the past who actually thought this. In 1791, the German theologian Karl Gottfried Bauer wrote... The lack of all physical movement while reading, combined with a forcible alternation of imagination and emotion, would lead to slackness, mucus congestion, flatulence, (laughs) (laughs) and constipation of the inner organs, which, as is well known, particularly in the female sex, actually affects the sexual parts. Wow. Yeah. So if you read that book, does that mean that you're going to be farty with constipated... Mm -hmm vagina it's yeah wow well I look forward to seeing how that um, evolves for you (laughs) yeah just remember women who read are dangerous (laughs) loads of badass women in that book so and probably loads of badass women reading that book as well Mm, nice one Sandy thank you (laughs) um well I've been I want to tell you about a podcast uh that I Mm. got pretty friggin hooked onto um yeah and it's, I think it's actually quite old, or it's been about for a while. It's called Dr. Death. Oh, I don't know it. And it's by Wondery, the guys who make who do the Wondery podcasts. Uh, and there's two seasons. Um, and they're about, about these two different doctors who uh, 
yeah, seriously, do some messed up stuff. Is it like Harold Chipman or? Yeah, but the, but kind of, it's in America, so it's got all of the oh, weird okay. stuff with, you know, like how different like areas of America have different rules and mm. you no, know, you can move from, like you can kill a patient in one hospital and move to another hospital oh, God, and no scary. one says a thing. Scary, so it's scary, about a guy scary. called Christopher uh, Dunsch or something like that. And he was a neurosurgeon um, who claimed to be the best in Dallas. Uh, but he did some pretty bad surgery, like oh really God. bad surgery. He left his like best mate, a quadriplegic. <gasps> um, he sewed a sponge into someone's neck because he removed too much bone and thought that would be fine. He oh killed loads of people. That's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, oh there was another God. one about another doctor as well who um, just abused the system where, you know, because of the drug system over there, mm-hmm. absolutely abused that system and, and made a lot of people very poorly and killed a lot of people. That's terrifying. So I listened to that just uh, whilst doing housework and gasping and... <laughs> Going, oh my god! Oh, god. oh my god! <laughs> Occasionally having to pause it and shout at Mike about what had happened, and yeah. So I mm. thought that was a really, it was really gripping. Yeah, it sounds it. I'll give it a go. Not if you're feeling sensitive. And I am a little bit this weekend. <laughs> it's been a tough week. It's been a week, yeah. So just a little bit tired, a bit weepy, but that's okay. Just yeah. got to rest. And well, then... I've been feeling really low energy. Mm. And I, I think it might be that I need some more vitamins. I've yeah. really not seen the sun in a long time. You need the sun. Yeah. It's really important. Vitamin D. So I might get some extra vitamin D in my system. Do it. Do it, do it, do it. Can't hurt. It can't hurt. I'll only piss it out if I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right Right then. Um, So I wanted to tell you about the 2020 Beirut explosion. (gasps) Yes, well, that wasn't too long ago. No, but I don't entirely remember it, (laughs) which is so when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, that's how crazy 2020 was, though, I think, that you could miss something that is as big as this. Um, So on the 4th of August 2020, a large amount of ammonium nitrate stored at the port of the city of Beirut, the capital Lebanon, exploded, causing at least 204 deaths, 7,500 injuries and around $15 billion worth of um, damage in property. And it left around 300,000 people homeless. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So a cargo of 2,750 tonnes of this ammonium nitrate had, which they say it's equivalent to around 1.1 kilotons of TNT, had been stored in a warehouse without proper safety measures for the previous six years. Oh, my after, God. Yeah, after having been confiscated by the Lebanese authorities from the abandoned ship, the MV Rosas. So the explosion was preceded by a fire in the same warehouse. Um, but as of 20, November 2020, when this Wikipedia article was written, the exact cause of the detonation is still under investigation. So my sources were Wikipedia and BBC News as well. So I've done a bit of a mishmash of the two. 
So the blast was that significant that it was felt in Turkey, Syria, Israel, Palestine and parts of Europe. And it was heard in Cyprus, which is more than 150 miles away. Wow. So it, it, was, it was a big boom. Um, and it was detected by the United States Geological Survey as a seismic event of magnitude 3.3 and is considered one of the most powerful artificial non-nuclear explosions in history. The Lebanese government declared a two-week state of emergency in response to the disaster. In its aftermath, protests erupted across Lebanon against the government for their failure to prevent the disaster, joining a larger series of protests which have been taking place across the country since 2019. So the economy of Lebanon was already in a state of crisis before the explosions. Okay. Um, the government had defaulted on debt. Um, the, so the currency was plunging and the poverty rate had ridden, risen past 50%. In addition, the COVID-19 pandemic had overwhelmed many of the country's hospitals, several of which already were short of medical supplies and unable to pay staff due to financial crisis. And then you, so, just, you don't need to have a sort of catastrophic emergency yeah, like that during so a pandemic. That's it. The background is that you're in a, you know, a country that's struggling already. The health service is like significantly struggling with COVID-19, like all health services around yeah. the world. And I can't imagine. Can you imagine like the staff having to like not get paid and go in and do that job? Yeah. <sighs> um, and obviously then there's this significant event. So the morning before um, the explosion, the head of the Rafiq Kauri University Hospital, which served as the main coronavirus medical facility in Lebanon, warned that it was approaching full capacity. Jesus. So they were already like on, like our, well, our hospitals are more than at capacity now, aren't yeah. they? But they yeah. were already at that point. So the Lebanon's Prime Minister, Hassan Diab, blamed the detonation of the, the um, 2,750 tonnes of ammonium nitrate um, on being stored unsafely at a warehouse in the port. Okay. Um, so what happened at the background to that is the chemical came in on a Moldovan flagged cargo ship, um, which was the MV Rosas, and it docked in Beirut in 2013 after suffering technical problems while saving, sailing from Georgia to Mozambique. So the MV Rosas uh, kind of broke down in Beirut in 2013 and the... L- Lebanese authorities inspected it and banned it from leaving. Um, and shortly afterwards, it was abandoned by its owners. Um, Who abandoned a think, boat and a load of TNT? I think they had some like financial issues going on. Um, so the cargo was um, then transferred to Warehouse 12 um, following a court order. And it should have been disposed of or resold. Okay? Right. So this is in 2013 that this cargo should have been disposed of or resold. And as we know, it wasn't. Oh, yeah. So on the afternoon of the 4th of August 2020, a fire broke out in Warehouse 12 at the Port of Beirut. Warehouse 12 was waterside and next to the grain silos. The warehouse was the one that was storing the ammonium nitrate. Alongside, Sean, a stash of fireworks. Oh, excellent. Good plan. <laughs> That's a really good plan. Around 17.55 local time, a team of nine firefighters and one paramedic, known as the Platoon 5, were dispatched to fight the fire. On arrival, the fire crew reported that there was something wrong as the fire was huge and produced a crazy sound. Right. I'm not being funny, but like over here, if a firework factory set on fire, there would be more than nine firefighters. Yeah, there? you'd have so. like low, like like nine fire engines. Maybe. You might even get some of the army's green goddesses involved. Ooh, that'd be exciting. Um, 
So the first explosion happened at about 1807 and it was likely triggered by the stored fireworks. I'm pretty sure it was triggered by the stored fireworks. Next to the Um, firewood. (laughs) Yeah, and sent up a large cloud of smoke and a crackle of bright firework flashes and heavily damaged the structure of the warehouse itself with a force equivalent to around 1.5 to 2.5 tonnes of TNT which is the size of a mid-sized truck. So it is a pro... It was, you know, I can't emphasise how much how big this explosion was. And then um, the second explosion took place 30, around 30 seconds later, and it was even bigger. Okay, it was, and this is the one that was felt in northern Israel and Cyprus, which are both, like, around 150 miles away. It rocked central Beirut and sent, uh, like, a big, massive orange cloud into the air. Um, so it rocked central Beirut and sent a red-orange cloud into the air, which was briefly surrounded by a white condensation cloud. So the orange-red colour of the smoke, for yeah. those geeks was out there, was caused by the nitrogen dioxide, dioxide sorry, and it's a byproduct of ammonium nitrate decomposition. There wow. you go, that's why it was like red-orange. So if it was ammonium nitrate, would it like... Because ammonia smells like piss, doesn't it? Yeah. So was it like a giant pissy explosion? I'm going to say yes. I don't actually know the answer, but I like the idea of that. <laughs> so that it sounds horrendous. <laughs> so it was like, so this this explosion, it just kind of sent up like a mushroom cloud. Can you picture like you've seen yeah, them in like films yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff? Um, and a supersonic blast wave went radiating through the city. So that it's like... It like knocked people off their feet. Yeah, it sounds... It sounds like one of these disaster movies. It doesn't sound real, yeah. but it was real. Um, so it, the blast destroyed the immediate dockside area, creating a crater approximately 140 metres wide, which flooded Jeez. with seawater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just gets um, worse. I know. Um, so what the, the, um, the University of Sheffield uh, analysed the videos of the blast, right? And they were saying it was the equivalent of dropping like a tonne and a half of TNT. Um, which is about the tenth of the intensity of the nuclear bomb dropped on Hiroshima in 1945. Wow. But yeah, so whatever the precise charge size they're saying, it's unquestionably one of the largest non-nuclear explosions in history, far bigger than any conventional weapon. And that was Professor Andy Tyus, an expert on blast protection engineering. Jesus, that's, that's really mm. scary. Just imagine though, like, because that's all stored by the docks. And I don't know about you, but when I'm like on holiday in a new city, the docks is where I like to go. You know, I like to go and look at the boats and see the stuff. Yeah. There's normally good bars near the docks and entertainment. Mm. So there must have been people just getting about their day and then suddenly not, I guess. Yeah. Um, So I think it, like, from what I was reading, the warehouses and warehouses. Oh dear, guess I'm I love this. horses. <laughs> you do, I do love horses. <laughs> and so the warehouses and the port were used to store explosive and chemicals, like as a standard, apparently. Um, so the re- failure, so as I said, in 2013, there was a court order saying that the ammonium nitrate should be like removed from the warehouse and like okay. either disposed of or sold, wasn't it? So it's the failure. And that was in 2013. Materials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2013. They've had a few years to get that organised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So the failure to remove the materials from the warehouse and relocate them was attributed to mismanagement of the port, corruption of the government and inaction of the flag registry's country and ship owner. So just like blaming everyone, basically. I'm afraid the buck stops with the government. 
If you were the I government, so. fuck has to stop with you, man. You got to take that responsibility. Yeah, and like, there's a port worker who was um, appeared in court as well, um, and they said that the, this warehouse, warehouse twelve, was not in regular use, and that those in charge only used to open the warehouse to stack inside it materials confiscated upon judicial orders or perilous products. It was like just a massive danger warehouse. Basically, it was a bomb waiting to go off, and oh, guess what happened? Yeah. So. 204 people were confirmed dead and more than 6,500 people were injured. There were foreigners from at least 22 countries among the casualties. Furthermore, at least 108 Bangladeshi nationals were injured in the blast, becoming the most affected foreign community. Yeah, and apparently there was like 34 refugees that were reported missing um, and an additional 124 refugees were injured and at least 150 people. I mean, every, anyone who's hurt and or lost someone in it, it's so heartbreaking. But for people who, who've, who are refugees, who've possibly escaped something worse to then find themselves in that situation and who possibly can't con- have, you know, their families might not know. Their families might think they're safe still nope. and there's no way for them to know. Well, as well, like, it's, I, I imagine that it's not a very robust system of knowing who's in the country as well like in terms of who are the refugees it could have even been more that's what I thought when I was reading it Um, and it says on this article at least 150 people became permanently disabled as a result of the explosion so it's not a country to be permanently disabled in either is it there's not that much money for state welfare there is no money um so remember me saying about the initial responders the plotting five um, the firefighters and the paramedic yeah. at the beginning. All 10 members of Platoon 5 died at the scene of the blast. Jesus. Yeah. Um, I'll just go down a bit more. So the explosion overturned cars and stripped steel frame buildings of their cladding. Um, and as I said, within the port area, the explosion destroyed a section of the shoreline and left that massive crater that filled with water. Homes as far as 10 kilometres away were damaged by the blast and up to 300,000 people were left homeless by the explosion and the grain silos that were around there were largely destroyed um which created food shortages well exacerbated the food shortages that were already happening caused by COVID-19 and severe financial crisis around 15,000 tons of grain was lost leaving with the country leaving the country with less than a month's worth of grain in reserve (gasps) so I can't emphasize how much impact this explosion has had devastation like Mm -hmm. it's not it's not just the loss of life and the the you know the initial boom it's got yeah it's like you know this the city's destroyed and there's all the food as well um so the damage from the blast affected over half of beirut with likely cost over 15 billion um and insured losses at around 3 billion Approximately 90% of the hotels in the city were damaged and three hospitals, remember the hospitals were already yeah, yeah, yeah. overwhelmed, they were completely destroyed, while two more suffered damage. Dozens of injured people brought to nearby hospitals could not be admitted because of the damage to the hospitals and windows and other um, glass features across the city were shattered. Um, so St George Hospital, one of the city's largest medical facilities, was less than a kilometre from the explosion and it was so badly damaged that staff were forced to treat patients in the street. 
four nurses died from the initial blast. 15 patients died after their ventilators stopped working. Oh, God. Um, and several patients were injured by flying glass. Um, within hours, they had to discharge all the patients and send them to other hospitals, and the St George Hospital was forced to close. Um, the hospital's director of intensive care, Dr Joseph Haddad, was quoted as saying, there is no St George Hospital anymore. It's fallen, it's on the floor, it's all destroyed. All of it. So that's that, that is the story of the 2020 Beirut explosion amidst, amidst a time when they were already in financial crisis and also yeah. in a pandemic crisis as yeah. well. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot to take in. I know. Um, I'm going to put in the... Um, in the podcast notes if i can find any charities that are taking donations yeah 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 so I'll put in because this is you know long-lasting impact it's not a when you talked about the food shortage that's just you know one thing onto another onto another yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no it is scary stuff and i don't remember it much i remember it happening yeah. but i don't remember much in the news about it I don't either, and that's when I started to look into it. I was just like, I was appalled almost because this this is significant. Yeah, isn't it? Like the actual yeah, yeah. impact. <sighs> yeah. Wow. Thank you. It's okay. Uh, I'm going to tell you another disaster story mm-hmm. from Great Britain. Ooh. And I got this uh, information from and i didn't know about it i'm ashamed to say i had not heard about it uh but i got this information from an author called lynn byant and she has a website called lynnbyant.co.uk she describes herself as a writer of historical novels wife of a computer geek mother of teenagers and servant (laughs) of labradors which i like oh yes i think i think i'd like her (laughs) Um, and I got added knowledge from obviously Wikipedia uh, and the BBC. This is the Bethnal Green tube disaster. <gasps> oh, I know about this. I didn't. I feel bad that I didn't know about it. Oh, yeah. so it happened on the 3rd of March 1943. 173 people died men, women, and children. The winter of 1940-1941 was a terrifying one for the Londoners. With bombing pounding their city from 7th of September 1940, London was systematically bombed by the Luftwaffe for 57 days. I'm just going to like jut in. So Mm. there is an aeroplane company called Lufthansa, who are a German like um, holiday aeroplane company. Right. And I flew on them once and was got confused and was happily chatting away to Mike about boarding the Luftwaffe. <laughs> and he was like, we're not going on that kind of place. <laughs> Just going on a holiday on a bombing mission. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, no, they're actually pronounced quite differently, my love. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So, Lufthansa and Luftwaffe. Different. So, very different, very, very mm. different careers that the people mm. who fly them to, chose. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, in December that year, London was hit by fire bombs, uh, which are 
incendiary weapons designed to start fires like so they're not like I've, I've never been bombed luckily uh but these fire bombs were like as they land like they they then create a fire so like you know hit that, yeah. houses and burst them into flames like arson bombs basically like um like petrol is it called a petrol bomb? I'm not a very good criminal, I'm afraid. I don't tend to bomb places. Well done. <laughs> I'm glad that you keep your criminal activity down. <laughs> I was, do you know what? One of my fears at the minute is that this is what's going to happen in America. Petrol like bombing. Donald, yeah, like with Donald Trump's, like some kind of, like, you know, civil war type thing. Oh my God, it's definitely on the cards. He they just is... need to indict him and bin him off. Mike He's was reading some... Sorry, Mike was reading something earlier to say that he's going to move to Florida because apparently um, in New York, uh, people are making fun of the Trump family, saying that everyone is socially distancing themselves from the Trumps <laughs> because they're so well, unpopular. From, you know, he's banned from going to Scotland, don't you? Good. Can yeah, we not ban him um... from everywhere else? Oh, I mean, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? But yeah, he's a very dangerous man. He is inciting hatred and violence. And yeah, he's absolutely terrifying. He is horrendous. Ugh. Bad, bad, bad man. Really creepy. Oh, so creepy. Ugh. So, so creepy. Blah. Him and his tiny weird hands. And he's horrible racist. He's a definite horrible racist. He's, yeah. Yeah, he's not a good guy. Nope, don't like him. Whack him in prison. Um, yes, anyway, so we digress from the 1940s. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, sorry. <laughs> so um, air raid sirens were a constant background to everyday life. The city was on high alert and the need for shelters from bombs was very real. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the options for bomb shelters. So, okay. You can have a cellar, or if you're American, you might call it your basement in your home. Um, and that would have been perfect. But post-World War I, as the housing industry picked up, folks stopped building houses with, with cellars because it was costly. And this became an obvious fuck-up once World War II started, as new homes were cellar-free. So you had a problem. But not to worry, because yeah. you could have an Anderson shelter if you had a yard or a garden. This was a corrugated... Oh, I remember learning this at school. Oh, well, I hope my information is correct. These were corrugated, uh, m- curved mini shelters um, that were bomb-proof, but they were very small, not particularly mm. pleasant to hang out in. Or you could have a Morris shelter in your home, and this was a bed in a cage like a coffin. Nice. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I've seen pictures on the internet. Both look nope. fairly ineffective. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think maybe just to make you feel better <laughs> is their main purpose, but I could be wrong. Um, but you could also go to a public air raid shelter. This could be a cellar in a factory, maybe some railway arches because they were deep and they had their curved mm. structures and people would use wooden brick screens or big curtains to help um, protect against the rubble and stuff like that. Oh, I wonder, like, we live in a city, don't we? I yes. wonder where, whether we there's, like, local air Well, I will tell still. you about them in a minute. Oh, I'm excited <laughs> now. Um, obviously, 
taking shelter in a railway arch was, you know, a bit touch and go because quite often railways were bombed Mm. because they wanted to mess up your infrastructure. Disruption, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 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 communal street shelters were built as a programme of mass building, which began in March 1940. These shelters consisted of 14-inch brick walls with a one-foot-thick reinforced concrete roof. The communal shelters were usually intended to accommodate about 50 people. But supply of materials dried up fairly quickly because there was a war on, you know. So it wasn't easy to get the concrete or the bricks. No. Um, And public opinion on these public shelters was shattered as they could not stand the blast from the earth tremors from the bombs and would fall down and crush people. Jesus. So they weren't very popular. It's like, pick which way you're going to die, isn't it, really? Pretty That's much, awful. yeah. Um, many other types of tunnels were adapted for shelter to protect the civilian population. Up hmm. the road from where we live, Sarah, in Stockport, there are four sets of underground air raid Ooh. shelters and tunnels for civilian use. Hmm. They were dug into the red sandstone on which the town stands. The smallest of the tunnel could accommodate 2,000 people and the largest 6,500. And I'm going to suggest that when COVID-19 is over, we need to start listing all the places I suggest to visit. But when COVID-19 is over, we should go and visit the air raid shelter because there's also a museum. And I will put the links in the notes. Let's go. So that's, we've got a few places on the list now, haven't we? We have, yeah. Boggart Hole. Yep. And where's the place, the Christmas place? The Christmas place. The Krampus. Oh, yeah, we're going to go to um, Germany. Yep. Ah, So many places. And Stockport. Stockport. (laughs) Tropical Stockport. (laughs) (laughs) So in southeast London, residents made use of the Chiselhurst Caves, a 22-mile-long network of caves Ooh. that have existed since the Middle Ages. Didn't know about them. We'll go there as well for a visit. I'll write that down too. <laughs> I don't know how to spell it. <laughs> C-H-I-S-L-E-H-U-R-S-T. Cool. Thank you. The government were not keen on people using underground tube stations as public shelters as they feared the spread of disease as many tube stations didn't have public restrooms. Ah, but you. Following the intensive bombing of London from the 7th of September 1940, there was considerable pressure to change this policy. The government reluctantly budged on the 21st of September, removing its objections to use the tube stations. They closed a short section, <clears throat> excuse me, they closed a short section of Piccadilly line from Holborn to Aldwych and converted this um, and converted it to specific wartime use with bunk mm. beds, first aid facilities, chemical toilets. There was 124 ca- canteens open and uh, uh, in all parts of the tube system. There were shelter marshals appointed whose function was to keep order and give out first aid and assist in care in case the tunnels flooded. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's a little scary, but it seemed like they were making it good. Some had, like, libraries. Some were really, like, you know, it was the place to feel safe. However, 
Tube stations and tunnels were still very vulnerable to direct hit and several Mm. instances did occur. On the 14th of October 1940, a bomb penetrated the road and tunnel at Blamel Tube Station, killing 66. On the 11th of January 1941, at Bank Station, that received a direct hit, killing 56. Um, However, the highest death toll is the story that I'm going to tell you, which was caused during an accident at the unfinished Bethnal Green Tube Station, because uh, 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 I'm going to stop there for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Work had been interrupted uh, by the outbreak of war. With the track not laid, there was plenty of room, with up to 5,000 bunks. There was a sense of community with singing, laughter, tea-urns, even a library. Um, And for many, this shelter offered a sense of security and an opportunity to be with neighbours and friends. We all Can you... I was just going to say, can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just need people, don't you? Yeah, but we're not allowed people. Can you imagine how you'd feel right now going into a room with that many people? I would freak out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. True. But it's true. We would. Yeah, totally. Whereas before, we were, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm never entirely happy in huge crowds, but it, it'd be okay. But now I'd be... Ooh. You'd be like, no, thank you. Get I'll away risk, from me. I'll risk the bombs. <laughs> uh, I might, yeah. <laughs> Bombing was expected to get worse that night as the RAF had bombed Berlin heavily for two nights earlier and the payback was expected to be pretty rough. Suddenly, the sound of sirens erupted. People evacuated from public buildings, buses and homes, dashing for the safety of Bethnal Green Tube Station. The steps were narrow, steep and wet. A woman carrying a baby tripped and fell and a man tripped over her and a domino effect started. Then from the outside came a loud and unsettling bang, a very unfamiliar noise, despite everyone being so used to bombs. Maybe people thought it was a new type of bomb. People panicked and surged forward, pushing into the shelter, unaware of the horror unfolding below them in the dark. The way was blocked by bodies, but still people Mm. poured down. Around 300 people were wedged into the stairway. Oh, it's one of my great, you know, this is one of my greatest fears. This is why I don't like crowds. I'm scared of like the crush. Crush. Yeah, yeah. The area that people were pressed into were approximately 15 foot by 11 foot. By the time they were pulled out, just before midnight, 27 men, 84 women and 62 children had been crushed to death while 60 survivors needed hospital treatment. That night, there were no bombs dropped. The loud noise that people heard was actually a new anti-aircraft rocket being tested in Victoria Park, a 15-minute walk from the tube station. Oh, you think you'd tell people, right? But it's a war. So people didn't tell anyone anything. But you you can't because of spies. Like, I totally agree. They should have... There should have been it shouldn't have been tested in Victoria Park. Why would you test it in Victoria Park? Why wouldn't you be like out in sticks somewhere yeah. away from everyone? I get why they don't tell people because they could be German spies. But that's that <laughs> whole crush thing terrifies me. Like there's um like I think there's like a nightclub fire that I'm thinking of. I can't remember exactly what it was. And like loads of people died just in the panic to get out. They're just yes. crushing each other. Oh, it's a horrible when, one. When we go. used to go to nightclubs, uh, I would insist. So there's one in Manchester 
uh, 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 I forget what it's called. The really big one, the terrifyingly huge one. Here's a clue. Uh, it used to be like it started off in a brewery and then it like got popular. Have I been there? I mean, it's been that such a long time, you know. <laughs> this on, is let, a night out to me, me these days. Let me Google it quickly. <laughs> I need more clues. Club. What Club. kind of night? Uh, I would have had all sorts of nights. Um, it was like a super club in Manchester. A super club? Like, you know, really big. Many people. You know, like a little party one. <laughs> I'm not narrowing uh, it down and I don't yeah, even know if I've been really or helping. not oh the warehouse project there we go oh no I've not been I should have just said it's in a warehouse <laughs> yeah yeah I would have got it if you said it's in a warehouse I'd be like oh yeah the warehouse project so when we used to go there so we used to go when it was first in a brewery it was in Boddington's oh. and it was pretty good in there because mm-hmm. it wasn't huge and then it moved to this big warehouse and, uh, and I used to get really nervous, so uh, I would insist that we, like, hung out and danced by the emergency exits. Because <laughs> I was right. like, I'm going to be the first one out there. I'm going to grab I'll my pants, and me and him are going to be out. <laughs> Take him by the dreads. Just, yeah, just grab him out of the mosh pit, by the dreads, and we're gone. I think, like, the scariest one for me is Antwerp Mansion. Because you oh, do kind of feel like the building's going to fall down around the you. It's going to fall down around you. Do you want to know something really gross about that place? And um, they're not allowed to trade anymore. Uh, as far as I last heard, I may be wrong. But the last time I was there, um, I overheard that, you know, like at the front, it was always really squidgy and wet. Yeah, the garden, it's squidgy, because, wet garden. Um, the male's toilet. Oh, it was had- the piss. It was the piss and the poop. They they had a problem with the sort of drains and there was a, a break in it and then the oh. cellar filled up with human waste and then that sort of like went out into the garden a bit that people used to trample over to get in. Oh, I remember like the guy's toilet's always flooding out into like one of the rooms and like in the in the women's toilets there was like no doors was there on the no no <laughs> doors people just randomly walk in anyone would just randomly walk in yeah i made yeah. a really good friend with the lady uh because i was having a wee and she bobbed in and stayed for a chat and we've been friends okay. ever since that's nice shout out to felicity <laughs> my toilet buddy <laughs> yeah she yeah. bobbed in and she said you don't mind if i stay I said no that's fine we had a nice chat and spent the evening I always used to have fun there, but I always felt like a little bit like the building was going to like collapse around me. <laughs> and you needed to wash as soon as you got home. Oh yes, filthy, yeah. filthy, filthy, filthy. Wash that black <laughs> mold off you. Oh. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we were like immune to like this COVID nineteen after <laughs> being in that <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Oh, oh. um. Say, so, where did it? Sorry, no, it's all good. So the government had a desire to keep this tragedy quiet while there was a war still going on to stop en- enemy propaganda and to keep morale up. Mm. Um, so those involved were told to keep quiet. A fake news report stated there had been a direct direct hit by a German <gasps> bomb. Fake news. Fake Not news. Good. But in 1946, at the end of the war, at the end of the war, an official report was published citing a lack of a central handrail being one of the factors Mm. to the tragedy. For many years, the only memorial was a single plaque on the stairway 
but on the 17th of December 1917, more than 70 years after the disaster, a memorial called the Stairway to Heaven was unveiled. Aww. It bears the name of the 70, 173 um, victims. Pinholes of uh, there are pinholes um, which the light peers through um, in the canopy of the structure. One for each men, women, and child who died. Aww. There is also a small upright replica of a 25 watt bulb. And that was the only source of light in the tube oh shelter entrance on that fateful night. Oh, my a God. Mix of fear, poor health and safety and communication, in my opinion, led to this disaster. And I will uh, underpin a, a list of all those who died um, from the Imperial War Museum. They've got a really nice page about it. So I will oh. that up. That's awful. Yeah, real tragedy in a time of war to have such a... It's Colossal yeah. They event. thought they're trying to be safe and get away from the bombs, but they actually just going into danger, weren't they? Yeah, just awful. And with our stories from last week, again, it's this idea that people, the, the the panic that people feel, you know, you just you, can you do go more back, damage with panic. Yeah, it goes back to that whole instinctual fight or flight thing though yeah. doesn't it you're not yeah, yeah. like in your rational brain you're you're in you know, your lizard brain help. aren't you yeah yeah your old school original brain where you you know it's dinosaurs yeah, you've got to survive. <laughs> you to survive what did you just say i said you've got to survive no something about panic and no it's all about the panic don't panic <sighs> sorry Anyway, you said something really good that I was going to use for I like our outro. Good things. <laughs> I've made it up. Okay. Well, I've got an outro as well, so we'll have to see whose outro is better. Ooh. Um. So I came up with some survival tips. Yeah. Uh, which might really help you uh, with your fear of crowds. I um, honestly, there's the number of times I've had to like. This is pre-COVID times as well. Okay. I've had to like sprint out of supermarkets because there's just too many people around me. Genuine, genuine fear. Don't yeah, like yeah. it. No, that, that's fair. But I can have, I can happily go to gigs though. Yeah. Well, I've seen you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I can I, go to gigs. In a distant, distance, distance past, I remember going to gigs with you. It happened. It was a true story. Yeah, right? It definitely happened. It's been happened. a long time. <laughs> I might just cry uh, the next time I see live music. I just can't even imagine how good it's going to be. It's going to be so good, isn't it's gonna it? Be, it's going to be amazing. I am going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just, yeah, it's a big part of our identity, though, isn't it? Going yeah. to gigs. Front and left. The punk, unlike the punk scene, front yeah, left. Front exactly, left. you go fr front left, meet all your friends. Yeah, and it's been a such a long time. Hold your husband's wares while he goes and mosh pits. Yeah. Everyone just, you know, you, you gather yourselves together again at the end and we all yeah. make our way back home. It's lovely. Yeah. Merry and miss happy. It. I miss it too. Yeah. But we'll get there again soon and we're very lucky because our friends run um, a night, put on night, so we get to see mm. a lot of music, a lot of good music. We are very lucky. We're in an amazing city where there's lots of yeah. great music. Yeah. And I we'll nearly... I nearly burst into a song, that Vera Lynn song. Okay. We'll meet again. <laughs> well, I like, well, because we talk about the war and the fact that we will meet again. It was all very linked. I liked it. 
I will never sing again, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) I think it could be a new career for you. Oh, no. (laughs) The the podcast crooner. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, So, my tips for you, sweetie. (laughs) Stay on your feet. If someone extends their hand for help, grab hold and get them up. Don't be a dick. Conserve your energy. Don't push against the crowd and don't yell or scream. Instead... Use sign language and non-verbal communications to connect with those around you. Um, lots of winking, nodding. <laughs> <laughs> um, keep your hands by your chest like a boxer. It protects your chest. Elbows. Elbows. Uh, maybe you could try crowd surfing people out if they're injured. Yeah, I mean, it could work. It's quite effective. Yeah, we need to get people out there if they're injured, crowd surf them out. And if you need to get out and you're not injured and crowd surfing doesn't seem to be working for you, you could move, if you move diagonally between pockets of people until you get to the sidelines, that should help. Mm. But most important, Sarah, don't fucking panic. I think that is like the key, isn't it, with a lot of things in life. Yeah. Just don't panic. Yeah, don't you panic. can save yourself if you don't panic and probably people around you too. Yeah, breathe. Keep that level head where you can make those more strategic, higher level decisions. Yes, I like that. High level decisions. That's what we need. So if you've got a Survivor of the Week story for me, Sean. I'm just going to try and find it for you now. Just entertain yourself for a little bit. La la la. (laughs) Oh no. Maybe you could do some more singing for me clearly in a singing mode I just think that's like the level that I'm at now <laughs> it's not the first time today that I've broken into song either when maybe, I'm talking maybe to you're someone. just sort of living in a weird sort of um yeah <gasps> I'm in Buffy opera. you're in Buffy oh. if she was that episode cool what sing it again oh. or something that is the best Buffy episode it's and they're just all singing all the time, like breaking into song, aren't yeah. they? Like a musical. Yeah. And the That's demon at me. the end, the dancing demon at the end, is an yeah. amazing dancer. I was like, <laughs> if he was giving demonic dance lessons, I would sign up. Even if you oh sing them over God. Zoom, I'd sign up. New business, demonic dance lessons. <laughs> <laughs> I think only a select few people would sign up. I reckon it'd be okay. big, big in 2021. So my survivor of the week is also a hero of the week. And I'm reading this live to you from CNN. Title is Police Say Orlando Waitress Saved Boy from Abuse with Note Asking if He Needed Help. And it's written by Holly Silverman from CNN. So an 11-year-old boy was removed from his home and from his parents are in, and his parents were in jail after police say an Orlando waitress noticed something was wrong and used a note to ask him if he needed help. Flavian, I'm sorry, Flavian, Cavajalo was not scheduled to work a shift at the Mrs. Potato restaurant on New Year's Oh, my day. God. I am Mrs. Potato. <laughs> I, I love, like, mashed potato is the best. Well, maybe one day we can go to Orlando and go to the Mrs. Potato <laughs> restaurant. Pop it on okay. the list. Carry on with the story now. Sorry, I got excited <laughs> again. <laughs> oh, but God. someone said she wasn't meant to work and someone called in sick, so she um, filled in for a boss. Okay, yeah. It had been busy uh, the rest of the day since it was the holidays, 
But things had slowed down finally, and that's when the family was at the last table of the night, she said. Because of her, two children were saved, Orlando police chief. Uh, oh, my God, right? Get this. Because of her, two police, two children were saved, says Orlando police chief, Orlando Rolon. Oh, yes. <laughs> he said in a conference, we probably would be having taking, talking talking about a potential homicide investigation if she had not intervened when she did. Jesus. The waitress said the boy was wearing a mask and hoodie and he was sat at the table along with two adults and a young girl. Although she couldn't see much, she said she noticed that he had a scratch between his eyebrows and that he did not order anything and wasn't eating, even Dear. though food had been brought to the table. Oh, that's um, awful. She thought she said she thought it was strange and that the child wasn't eating and that he was very quiet while the others were talking and playing. She asked the table if their food and drinks were okay. Um, when one of the adults replied that the boy would eat his dinner at home, she began to think something else was going on. Yeah, that's weird. She says, you don't deny food for a kid, especially in a restaurant. She then saw bruises on the side of his face and on his arms oh. and decided to see what she could do to help him. She thought, she said, I just thought I needed to do something. I could not see him going away without any help. She wrote a note uh, asking the boy if he was okay and stood behind his parents so they couldn't see it. The boy nodded and I knew that he was afraid or he wasn't comfortable saying he needed help. So she decided to write another note. This one said, do you need help? And she saw the boy nod yes and oh made God. movements with his hand showing he didn't know what to do. Jesus. He's so she, scared. She and a boss called 911. They told the dispatcher they were worried about the boy. One of the kids is with a lot of bruises on his arms and on his face and the parents are not giving him food or buying him anything, but they're giving the other kids, but they are giving it to the other kids. It's awful. She told the dispatcher. I'm super concerned and I don't know what to do. Can you give me some advice? She asks. Police arrived and questioned the child who told the detectives he'd been suffering abuse at the hands of his stepfather, identified by police as Timothy Lee Wilson II. Um, the boy told detectives he'd been hit with a wooden broom, hung upside down oh. from a door and was oh. regularly de denied food as a punishment, according to the police department news release. Wilson was arrested at the restaurant and the boy's mother, Kirsten Swan, was taken into custody on, the 6th, on January the 6th. The stepfather is charged with multiple counts of ag aggravated child abuse and neglect. And the mother is charged with two accounts of neglect. Also, a four-year-old child was removed from the home following the arrest of the parents, but was found not to have suffered any ab abuse. He was scapegoated, wasn't he? That's awful. Yeah. Poor lamb. So, um, so cruel. Yeah. It's amazing but, that, that that waitress, like that little boy has been saved. His parents are going to get what they deserve. Uh, his little sister is safe. He, it just sounds like now. a true story of chance, though. She wasn't meant to be there. Yeah. But because somebody called in sick, she was there. And she just obviously went off her gut instinct as well, didn't She's she? She knew something angel. wasn't right. Yeah. No, she's she was, amazing. She was there by chance. And and I think, I mean, I've done it. You know, when you see something and you're like, I'm not sure uh, about that. And you just think, oh, well, you know, brush it off. 
And I'm so glad that she didn't. I'm so glad that she was like, no, there is, there is something dodgy. Yeah. And there's always that fear of intervening as well, isn't there? Yeah. And you feel that sometimes. Like, you're like, oh, I don't know if that's... Like, with couples, sometimes you're like, I don't, that doesn't feel right, but I'm, what I'm scared of... Yeah. yeah. Me and Mike saved a woman who was being beaten up uh, on a night. It was new, one, one New Year's Eve and we could go out. We were walking back uh, super happy, like totally buzzing. Had a great dance. We've been to Gulliver's. We were Yay. drunk. Uh, Super New Year's fun. Uh, and we saw a woman like trying to get into a taxi and this guy like mm. pulled her back. He started beating her with her own shoes. Oh my um, God. And Mike was like, quite rightly, he was like, I can't get involved because he's going to kick the living shit out of me. So Mike mm. said he was going to go around the corner and phone the police. And I just wandered over to this woman and I was like, hi. Do you need some help? Do you want to come with me? Like so confident and drunk. Oh my god! And she was just like, "Yeah." Then we held hands, and like this guy was just shouting in my face. And all oh I kept god. doing was turning to him with a big grin and saying, "Shush! It's not your turn to talk." <laughs> <laughs> drunk Sean is. Amazing. Oh my god! Drunk Sean's an idiot. But yeah. <laughs> We got around the corner and another lady joined whose taxi she tried to get in. She came and joined me and we both like sat by this woman and we were chatting away to her and her aggressive partner kept screaming and we both like just turned to him and be like, no, shh. <laughs> would have um, hated that though as well. Yeah, totally. That's like, what made it even more fun. <laughs> yeah, you're not scared of him. That's, no. Wow. And then the police turned up and I said to the police, well, I, I'm because that's when the adrenaline finally went and I just started shaking. Oh, and I was just like, I need to go home. Can I go home? So okay, I want to go home. Panic. Yeah. And they were like, that's fine. You can go home. And I said, is she going to be all right? And the police lady said, probably not. She'll probably no. take him back. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, it's but it's a complicated old thing, isn't it? Domestic abuse. So. It is. And it's something <sighs> that we probably will cover at some point. When we're not doing disasters. Yeah. But for now, it's full on disasters. So yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I wanted to say that there's not much else to do but suggest that you store your TNT with care. And don't panic and do more damage. And, and keep, keep on, on surviving. surviving.